0: Hi, everybody. Hi. I think that car clear clinic's pretty cool. Like, right now I need a timing belt clinic. Like, can we get something like that going, like free? I mean, those are easy, right? That's like an oil change. No, actually, I have to go. Uh, I've never done... I don't do a lot of stuff with cars. I'm learning as I get older. They used to just, like, kind of scare me. Like, okay, it doesn't work. What do I do now? Even, like, replacing the battery was... A little bit intimidating, but so. But after work today, I have um, a friend coming over. We're going to change a starter in my minivan that has like two hundred twenty thousand miles on it. So you could pray for us as we do that. <laughs> it might be uh, one of those sanctifying experiences, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter eighteen, we're going to learn about the church in Corinth. <clears throat> kind of the ups and downs of what happened uh, in that church and after you turn there if you want to put a finger in first corinthians chapter 12 uh, we're going to look at some of the spiritual gifts that paul encouraged the church to take part in in that chapter and then also second corinthians chapter 7 and in that passage of scripture we're going to look at how Paul encouraged the church to resolve some of the conflict. And I think that it's, these are important topics for us to look at. Not that I, I don't have any inkling that as a church we don't do a good job in these areas. Uh, I just think that it's really neat to see if we can walk in the Spirit and fulfill the gifts that God has given to us, or maybe for some of us even realize what some of those gifts are. And to walk in the power of those things. And that as we're doing that, it's it may be inevitable, is, is sanctified and as holy as all of you are. Like I'm looking out and you're like glowing. Your faces are glowing in front of me as I speak. But as holy as we might be, we're still selfish fallen people. And so we're bound to maybe rub some another person the wrong way. Well, how do we handle situations like that? Because as a church body, we really want to position ourselves... To, to act when God calls us to move as a church body. <clears throat> and I don't know what exactly God has in store for us as a larger church body. But what I do know is that when that calling comes in, if we're free of conflict with each other and we're walking in the Spirit, then we're in a great position to serve God in any way that he sees fit to use us. And the Church of Corinth gives us a really good picture of, of how that uh, took place. And so if you'll join me in prayer as we get started today. And so, Lord, we're so looking forward to your word and the truths that you have to teach us. And, Lord, I pray that you would just fill us with your spirit to receive your word, to understand your word, and to go out in the power of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's go ahead and uh, start in our first patches, passage of scripture, Acts chapter 18, and we'll start in verse one. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, and he recently who recently had come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had, had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And and he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation they were tent makers. So here it's talking about how Paul and Aquila and Priscilla, this married couple, they're all working together as tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit to testify to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ that's that's no small no small task because the Jews mindset a lot of them didn't realize that Jesus was the Messiah so in verse 6 but when they opposed him that being the Jews and blasphemed he Paul shook his garments and said to them your blood be upon your own heads I am clean for now I will go to the Gentiles so he's saying you know, God's compelled me to speak to the Jews, and if you don't want to receive me, there's a lot of other people that still need to know about Christ, so I'm going to go to that group of people. Verse 7, And he departed from there and entered the, uh, the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. So here we see something really neat take place. Crispus, he's the leader of the synagogue. So if there's anybody that you want to, you know, help understand who to to know who Jesus is, it's the leader of the synagogue, because now he's going to use his influence to share Christ with those in that fellowship. In verse 9, now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you or hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So here we see the birth of the Corinthian church. Paul spends a year and a half uh, at the encouragement of the Lord in a vision saying, Hey, you know, probably not a good idea to go anywhere right now because I have many people here. And so Paul's encouraged by that and he says, all right, I'm going to, to share Jesus here. So after he starts the church and goes on to his next uh, missionary work, people start to come to Paul from the church and he starts to hear about some problems that take place in this church. And I, I kind of wonder what Paul's reaction is. You know, being being a pastor, being a minister, there's a lot of times that maybe some some good works will start or maybe in your job or, or in your school or wherever God might have you. You start to see some good things happen. It's like, man, here's a really cool work of God that's starting to form. So you go on to the next thing and is, right after you leave, all these problems start to come in. And so this is what Paul was, was learning about. And some of these problems <clears throat> were really the effect of the culture and people's own selfishness kind of combining together to do some some really problematic things he learns that there's division in the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where some people are saying you know i'm going to follow paul you know he's the founder of this church and i'm a charter member of this church and it was so great to hear him and so i'm his follower and then along comes a comes a guy named apollos who's really eloquent really charismatic maybe doesn't speak as well as Paul did. It's like, you know what? I like this guy. I like what this guy has to say. So I'm not really going to be so much a follower of, of Paul, but I'm going to be a follower of Apollos. So these divisions started to creep in. Also, we see in the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that sexual immorality was infiltrating it. <clears throat> we find it had gotten so bad that there was uh, one person in the church who is having a sexual relationship with his stepmom. And he was saying, this is bad because although this is going on in the church, you're accepting it and you're not asking this guy to leave because he won't turn from what he's doing. People were suing each other in the church because they couldn't resolve their differences uh, within the body. And, and talk about being a bad example to the larger community. Can you imagine people in the courthouse watching what's going on? It's like, oh, these two guys, they started this new church and now they're suing each other? Like, uh, I'm, not, I'm not interested in that. Some people weren't equally yoked in their marriage relationship, meaning they were married to uh, an unbeliever. And some of that just may have come about because as the church was getting started... You know, one spouse in the marriage relationship wanted to follow Christ. The other person didn't. And so now they start to have these different belief systems and they're not sureing how to reconcile those things. So he addressed those things in 1 Corinthians. We had people that had differing convictions. You know, we all have different convictions, things that we might think, you know, uh, you know I really don't want to do this, but if I... If I follow that, then I know I might offend my brother. They weren't sure how to handle those situations. And so Paul uh, addressed those things. And then, you know, this would be kind of comical if it wasn't so sad, but there was chaos at the Lord's Supper. So at the time that they were supposed to be communing together and, you know, eating of the bread and drinking from the cup, you know, they would have a supper that would celebrate that. But rather than having that mindset of looking to Christ they would kind of fight each other for the front of the line to see if you could get the best cut of meat, you know. <clears throat> so it's just a real, real mess. So as Paul starts to hear about this, now he starts to, to make visits, and he sends letters back to those churches. And some of those letters we have in our Bible known as 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Uh, some of what we see when we read those books is we see that Paul sent letters uh, that we don't have canonized in the scriptures, letters that we don't have access to. But we see Paul mentioning, hey, when I sent this letter before and I was addressing this, he also refers to a painful visit where he had to come and face-to-face address some of the problems that were going on in the church. And he also talks about um, like a, another severe letter that he had to send to address these things. So not a good situation in the church. And we know that even in our own church that, we can run into situations like this. Now, praise the Lord, as long as I've been a part of this fellowship, which has been about 20 years now, uh, we, I haven't seen any like big splits and big divisions in the church. And so this message isn't some backhanded way of me saying, oh, there's this problem at RMC, and I'm going to talk about it today you know, from up front. It's like, no, no, you guys do a fantastic job. Uh, in, in really getting along together, serving together. And so this is just more of an encouragement. We also see Paul's heart as a pastor when he addresses these issues because his heart isn't so much to come in and discipline and just condemn uh, the sinful behavior, but his heart comes in more like a parent. And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14, and I'll just read this to you. But Paul writes, "'I do not write these things to shame you,' But as my beloved children, I warn you. <clears throat> Those of us that are parents, or maybe you're a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle, or maybe you just know a child that you, a small child that you just love to be around, and you start to see them doing things that aren't very smart. Uh, they're going to hurt themselves. They're going to hurt someone else. You don't just come in to bring the hammer down on them, but you come in out of love to see, I want to see you grow. I want to see you nurture. I want to see you you know, come to be a responsible person. If you get married someday, I want you to be able to act selflessly and be a good husband or a wife or a good parent if God has those plans for you. And so this is heart, uh, Paul's heart when he uh, talks to them about these issues. <clears throat> so myself, like Paul, and I would say every, other pa- every pastor that's uh, on staff here, this is our heart for you guys is a body of Christ is our heart is to see uh, you be everything that God calls you to be. Our heart is to see you serve in such a way and you have relationships that are uh, peaceful and they're harmonious. And one one of the ways that we can do that as a church body is to understand our gifts and our callings in the Holy Spirit. And also as we serve in the Spirit, if we do have some sort of conflict with someone how to be able to resolve that conflict in a way that brings about uh, a peaceful restoration in those relationships. And so those are kind of the two topics uh, we're going to look at here in a minute. What's so encouraging uh, about you all to me is that I know many of you have a heart to be connected with each other. Many of you have a heart to want to, to volunteer and to serve in our fellowship. You know, and those of you that aren't part of of a formal, you know, like connect group or home fellowship, or you aren't formally a part of some volunteer ministry within the fellowship, you know, as I still see you connecting out, you know, in the foyer and talking with each other, and that's just a real blessing to me. And so as I see all this activity, I'm thinking to myself as a pastor, what can we do best as we continue to move forward in this? I was looking up like a couple of statistics Uh, we had launched our connect groups here a couple of months back, and we have 22 new connect groups. That went from zero to 22 in a matter of a couple of months, which, you know, compared to the size of our body, we still have some room to grow in more connect groups because I think they're all pretty much full. But it was just a blessing to see 22 people stand up and say, I want to lead this group and even have more people on top of that that say, I don't know if I want to lead, but I want to host a group. And then on top of that, we have leaders of those groups that are all volunteers as well. So all in all, you know, something like 230, 240 families respond to that call. You know, that tells me as a pastor, like, hey, these people want to be connected, which is a real blessing. In the past two and a half years, we've had over 1,060 people fill out volunteer applications for different positions. So that tells me as a pastor, like, I want to use my gifts and I want to use my talents and my interests to serve the greater body of of Christ. And I'm sure that as Paul was getting getting the church together back in Acts chapter 18, like, man, all these people, they want to be connected. All these people want to serve God together. And then all of these problems kind of come and sit in. So I think if we're proactive in looking out for these things, that we can be, you know, kind of cooking with gas, so to speak, here. So if you'll turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, I'd like to look at some of the gifts of the Spirit together. Because not only does Paul say, hey, these are, the, these are the problems in the church, and I'm going to address these different issues, is then he gets to a point in the book where he kind of is done addressing all the individual issues and say, how can we serve united as a body in the strength of the Spirit? So in verse 4, he starts out by saying, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another, the word of knowledge, through the same Spirit. To another, faith, by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings, by the same Spirit. To another, the workings, the, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But, one and the same Spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually as he wills and so we see this repetition of paul saying okay here's this gifting but it's given by the spirit well here's this gifting but it's given by the the same spirit but it's all to be able to accomplish the larger work of what god wants to do in the body of christ <clears throat> now i love football i love watching football i don't love playing football as much as i used to as i'm kind of getting older. Uh, But in high school was my first opportunity to be on uh, a football team. And so I'm going to give you a football analogy. All right. So, and I'll try to keep it, you know, to where everybody kind of understands it here, I suppose. But so when I uh, played football uh, and, and I went out for the team, I kind of picked the, I was looking at myself as more of an offensive player than a defensive player. So, when it's t- time to, to try out for those positions, they broke the group up into uh, three different groups. You had your linemen. Those are like the blocker guys. And then you had your backs, your quarterbacks, your running backs. And you had all your receivers. So those were the three groups. And they said, you know, go to whatever group you want to try out for. And uh, so I thought, I'm going to try to be a running back because um, I really didn't have the, maybe the, the body of a receiver really. And I didn't want to be a lineman because that's like the unglorious position, you know, because you never really get the ball and that sort of stuff. So I thought, well, I'm going to go out for running back. So I go out there. I'm pretty excited. And we're doing this drill where we're handing the ball off to each other. And I take my first hand off. And I I get so picture the coach is kind of, you know, looking at us. I take one hand off and he says, go with the lineman. I'm like, I was just devastated. (laughs) Because in that one sentence, he had sentenced me to Something I didn't want to do for a whole football season. And I was so new, I didn't know. It's like, I'm not going to tell this guy, you know, I'm not going to argue with him because I'm just this, you know, freshman kid at a new school. I'm already scared to death just just, just to be there. Um, yeah, so uh, there's something I'm thinking. It's like I can't talk about that from the pulpit. So, uh <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, I go to uh, the line, and I was kind of just devastated, but as the season continued, I found out that, you know, I was a pretty good lineman, like the coach saw something in me uh, that that I didn't see, and so I started as a lineman, and I I really can't remember a time that I had gotten taken out of a game, so I loved it. Now, had I stayed in as, as a running back, I really don't know how much time I would have been given on the field as a running back because there were a lot of running backs on this team that had experience as they were growing up uh, before they got into the ninth grade, and I think the coach knew that. And so I was really pleased by how I got to participate. And so God wants to use us in the the same way. We might want to be tempted to have a position that's more visible or, or maybe not, but we, we really need to look to our coach, so to speak, because he's picking you all and giving you different gifts within the body to use. And if we're looking to him, then there's going to be a real beautiful coordination of gifts that take place rather than just being focused on ourselves. You know, a lot of times, uh, you know, the most visible position on the field is, is probably the quarterback. And, you know, one of the, I think the MVP for this last year in the NFL was uh, Patrick Mahomes. For the Kansas City Chiefs. And although I'm not a Chiefs fan, when I see him play, it's like, this guy is just awesome, you know? But if, if that quarterback, no matter how good he has played every single position, if he played lineman, and he played receiver, and he played running back, I can guarantee you that team would get demolished. <laughs> because if you have some quarterback, I don't know how much the guy weighs, up against a 300-pound, you know, lineman, the, the, the guy's toast. And so all that to say is we really need to be looking to the Lord to see where we fit into the body of Christ and how we can really see our our fitting is to understand what our gifting is and to operate in that gift. And so I want to talk about uh, the spiritual gifts that are not only mentioned in chapter 12 but also where some giftings are mentioned in other parts of the body. And as we look at that and you start to Uh, kind of categorize things you'll see that that the giftings fall in three basic categories so the first of those categories is the manifestational gifts and we just read about those in chapter 12 and so uh, those gifts are the word of wisdom word of knowledge faith healing miracles prophecy discerning of spirits tongues and interpretation of tongues Now, the reason why they're called the manifestational gifts is because these are supernatural demonstrations or manifestations of the Holy Spirit's presence and power. And these gifts are given in a moment of ministry. And so when you're stepping out to do ministry and saying, God, I want to serve you, you know, maybe you're teaching, Uh, maybe you're coming and, you know, praying for, for somebody. But whatever, whatever it is, you're stepping out in that moment and God decides supernaturally to manifest you with that spiritual gift in order to accomplish His purpose to benefit the greater body of Christ. It isn't to point have people point to you and have you be known for something. It's getting people's eyes on Jesus Christ when you're manifesting that gift. <clears throat> so it may be something that God uh, manifests within you at different times in your life with different gifts. Uh, he may not manifest this gift within, within you, you know, what's whatsoever, but you might have a different gift that we're going to talk about here in, here in a minute. But just know that they're in a moment of ministry. There's not always trends in this, because we don't always know how God's going to use us, you know, in a specific situation. The best way I can say to be ready for that situation is, is another football analogy. <laughs> okay, and that is, you know, I knew that my coach would put me in in the game if I was at practice, if I was memorizing my plays, if I was, you know, working hard, if I suited up for the game, and then I showed up when I was supposed to, and I'm like looking at the coach saying, like, I'm ready to be used by you at any moment that you want to put me in because I'm ready. So it's kind of putting yourself in that same situation with the Lord. It's, it's not so much that, oh, Matt, you've done all these good things and now you're good enough to be used by me. No, no. It's having more of an attitude of like, okay, Matt, you understand what, what my word says. You know, you're spending time to be close with me. You're looking for opportunities for me to use you, and you're putting yourself into those positions. Now you're in a good position for whatever manifestation God wants to use in your life. It's not something I can make happen or, or follow a formula and say, okay, God, now, now I'm going to get it. But it, I do need to put myself in the right place. So that's the first category. The second category uh, is the office of gifts, which we learn about in Ephesians chapter 4. So this gift of position or office, it's a position through which the Holy Spirit uses to build up the greater church. And so these offices are apostles, prophets evangelists pastors and teachers so it's by certain people having a calling to work in that position and god uses that position to build up the greater body of christ and then finally we have the motivational gifts which are talked about in romans chapter 12 and if you'll read in that chapter we see that this is a gift that every believer has every believer has one or more of of these gifts and uh these gifts are prophecy ministry or service teaching exhorting giving leadership or organization and mercy so these seven gifts if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ if he's your lord and savior you have one or maybe more of these more of these gifts some of them may stand out uh, more than another and how to view these gifts is these gifts shape how, v- how you view life and relate to other people while serving Christ. It serves as a motivation that compels you to act or to think in a certain way. It's almost as if uh, we were to maybe all be working together to put on some event that had a lot of different components to it. You know, let's say there was a component where chairs needed to be moved you know, uh, out of the sanctuary or something. And then there's a component, well, okay, we need someone to teach uh, at this event, or we need someone to maybe organize some of those things going on. And as you're considering what God wants you to do, something just jumps out at you. It's like, I can't wait to move the chairs. Like, someone tell me where to move the chairs, and if I'm waiting too long, I'm going to get frustrated because i got to go, 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 go like if that's you, then your gift is probably ministry or service. It's like doing those things. If maybe you're looking at it, it's like, you know, chairs don't interest me, but I would just love to teach. Like, so tell me what you want me to teach on or give me the curriculum and I'll kind of start to study it and I'll research it. And you love the researching. You love to make sure that everybody understands every nook and cranny of God's truth. Then your gift is probably teaching. <clears throat> if you're the kind of person that you know, is looking at something and it's like, okay, that doesn't line up with God's word over there. And I need to tell them that, not because I want to get on their case, but I want them to know that that's what not, is not what God wants for them. And, you know, God wants them to do this other thing. Uh, and maybe you're really good at it, or maybe you lacked a little bit of tack, but your heart is still in the right place, then you might be a prophet. Okay, but whatever that gifting is, God wants us to use those to work together for the greater good of the body of Christ. And if you don't really have any sense of maybe what your gift might be, is uh, I just threw a little resource up on uh, our website at rmcalvary.org spirit. And you can go there and you can download, and there's some descriptions of what those gifts are. And there's also a test you can take, and it's not a foolproof test, but as you go through it and you grade it and you start to kind of see where you might fall in one of those seven giftings. And I think it's important, again, for us to understand that because if we start to understand our gifting, not only do we operate in it, but as we start to work alongside someone else, it might help relieve some of the frustrations that we run into where, you know, it's like, man, you know when, when Eric will call people to, like, move chairs to the sides because they're going to you know have VBS or something like that? Like, and I'm so excited about doing it. It's like, I think these other people are lazy because they don't want to come do this too. Like, it gives you an understanding of, like, that may not be their gift, okay? Now, that's not to say because we're not gifted in something, we're excused from it. Like, for example, you know, if your gift isn't, you know, teaching or, or evangelism, you know, the Bible does say, hey, go into all the world, you know, preaching the gospel to all nations. Like, there's a command that is given to everyone in certain areas, and because that's not your gift and you don't exempt yourself from it, But again, it just helps you to understand that we all have different perspectives and we all have different strengths to bring into the picture. Now, so as we're operating in that gifting, okay, we might find ourselves starting to come closer and closer with other believers, right? It's like, oh, I got involved in this connect group. It's awesome. Or, oh, I got involved in this volunteer ministry. It's awesome. But you know, as I'm doing that, I'm starting to kind of get closer to these other people and I'm starting to kind of have a little bit of a difference of opinion here or a difference of perspective on how something should be done, or now I'm starting to get closer to them and they did something that I find hurtful to me. You know, those things are bound to happen. And the reason why they're bound to happen is because in James chapter four, verse one, James writes, where do your wars and fights come from among you? Do you ever read a passage of scripture and, and you'll see something like that and it's like, oh, I'm about to get an answer to the $64,000 question here. Like, where do wars and fights come from among you? And, and then he answers it. Do they not come af- come from your desires for pleasure that war within your members? In other words, don't you realize it's because you're selfish? <laughs> now, that's not the answer we were wanting to hear. You know, we would much rather hear, oh, you know why you have wars and desires? It's because your spouse is a jerk. You know, or it's because your boss is a jerk. It's like, no, no, no. Okay, the problem is really, really with you and your selfishness. So here we are, these selfish people. We're trying to work together in the body of Christ. We're walking in the Spirit. Boom, we start to have conflicts. What do we do in situations like that? Well, let's turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And, and Paul starts to really get to the crux of the book in this passage in chapter 7 because it's culminating all up into him confronting them, sharing God's truth and now he's going to wait to see what happens. Okay, are they going to be upset? Are they going to repent and and turn back to Christ? Excuse me. So in verse 2, it reads, Open your hearts to us. So Paul says, Corinthians, I've just come to you. My heart is open. Open your heart to, to us as well. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. I do not say this to condemn. So what he's saying in this passage of Scripture is, I'm, I'm, my heart is open to you, okay? And I'm looking at what I am doing here in the, in the scope of this conflict. I've done some self-examination. And as I've done that self-examination, I've come to the conclusion that I don't think I've done anything to wrong you. I don't think that I've corrupted you or misled you in any way. I don't think that I've cheated you anyway. And he says, I don't say this to condemn. So he's saying, I'm not I'm not saying I'm I'm all right and you're all wrong. But the first step in us looking at a conflict is for us to look at our contribution to whatever it is that's going on, right? Because a conflict might exist because I really did cheat you. Maybe, you know, if, if Paul had cheated them, he'd probably say, you know what, I've I've taken a closer look and I didn't do this intentionally but I've offended you. And it was because of my behavior that I've done that. But in this case, he's come to the conclusion, he says, that's not the case. He goes on in verse three to say, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. So he's really emphasizing that bond of connectedness when he's doing that self-examination. He's not just looking to set himself free uh, and say, I'm not to blame. In verse four, he says, great is my boldness and speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in our tribulation. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts and inside were fears. So he's just sharing a little bit about of experience. And as he was coming from Macedonia over to Corinth, some of what's been going on. But although there there were these conflicts, uh, he was also joyful in his tribulation. So we can find that Conflict doesn't always have to be a really uncomfortable place to be. We can find joy in our tribulation even though we have conflicts within, or excuse me, conflicts without and fears within. And this is Paul's perspective on it. Conflict can always be an opportunity for good things to happen in your life, in the life of the person that you're, you're having the conflict with. <clears throat> but a lot of times growing up, we may, we may not be taught that or that might not be modeled to us. You know, what was modeled to us might be, man, this is really uncomfortable. And whenever I saw my parents or whoever, you know, they would just stick their head in the sand and want to eat pie and ice cream and just kind of blow it off. But nothing ever got resolved in our family. Or, you no, know, my experience was very different. There was definitely a knowledge of, of conflict, but I would see tooth and nail fighting. Even if they thought that they were wrong, they still wanted to win the fight. So their response to conflict was just to just fight. Now, others of you may have seen it uh, done in a healthy fashion where they were really talking it out or getting help if they couldn't resolve it themselves. But I love what Paul has to say. is like, I still rejoice in this. So we need to own our part of the conflict. That's, that's to be our first step. Our next step is we need to bring God into the conflict. And so we see in verse 6 these two beautiful words that say, nevertheless, God. So he's having this godly perspective, and he says, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. So what happened was Titus was sent down to the church, to deal with these problems. And then Titus comes back, Paul receives him, and he gets a good report. And he was comforted by that. God used Titus. God brought Titus into the picture to help bring resolution to the problem. What happens when we bring God into our conflict? When we start to look outside of the scope of our hurt, of our anger, of our frustration with this other people, they're always giving me this problem. How often do we look at ourselves and then, and then bring God into it. <clears throat> now, it, it, it seems to never fail that when I get the opportunity to share, something during the preceding week, something bad happens. I've gotten sick before. Uh, I almost lost the tip of my finger one time, like cutting a piece of bread. And I wasn't looking for anything bad to happen, but as I was reflecting back a couple of days ago, it's like, you know, I, had, I did my taxes this week, and it wasn't a pleasant experience for me. Like, I think I'd rather lose the tip of my finger than maybe have to confront the reality of what my taxes are telling me that I need to, you know, to pay this year. Because many, many years it has led up to this. I've always been like, on the receiving end <laughs> uh, in a tax, so it's like, I can't wait to get my taxes done. Uh, So yeah, I was sitting there at the table at my computer and the numbers are kind of coming back and I'm starting to feel like sick to my stomach. And all the little things that weren't really bothering me up until that point in the day, they were starting to bother me. Like, you know, all the little noises in the house, you know, like that is irritating. Like, don't you understand how irritating you are when you do that? All because of this thing, you know, Every little thing that was out of place in the house was all of a sudden just, you know, shining and glowing at me, and it needed to be picked up. Uh, but you know what I'm talking about. Like when you start to get in that place of feeling really anxious or frustrated, like your whole perspective changes, and your days is horrible, and it's now filled with conflict. And so it's like, okay, God, I know I know you're trying to teach me something here. What are you trying to teach me? trying to be in tune with my anxiety here, right? Because in the Bible, it says in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, David writes, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. See what is wicked within me, and then lead me in the everlasting way. Like it or not, trials can bring about within us the sickness of stomach, the anxiety, the frustrations in life. And that's an indicator. This is if we were to look in our car and the engine light came on or the temperature gauge starts to go up. That anxiety is an indicator of what is in here. Because I can't always just open up my heart and see it how God sees it. It's gotta come to the surface somehow and conflict will bring that stuff to the surface. And so when I brought God into into that tax situation picture, I started to ask myself some questions, or maybe these are questions from the Lord, but the question was, so Matt, who do you expect to take care of you in your life, your God or your government? And that's not a slam against the government. It's just the reality of me working on my taxes. And it's like, you know what, it's you, God. It's like, that's right. And so maybe you've been blessed with a refund in the years past, but you don't need to look at that to have peace and security. For others of you, you know, your thing might be your job. Hey, does your job provide for you or do I provide for you? Do your friends provide for you or do I provide for you? And the indication that you'll know if if something's out of whack is that thing that you depend upon starts to go wrong and you start to get that sick or frustrating feeling and that feeling isn't from God, it's from your heart. But God wants to make you aware of it. Because once it comes to the surface, we can say, just like the psalmist said, now lead me in the everlasting way. God says, that's right. Now you see things like I see them. Do I have your attention, Matt? Yeah, you got my attention. So let me deliver you from this. Thank you, God, for delivering me from that. And so now next time I come across that circumstance, I can go back and look at the testimony of God's provision in my life, and that doesn't freak me out anymore. That's how conflict can be a good thing in your life. And so don't run away from it. You know, don't fight to squash it out of your life. Process through it and see what God wants to do in your life. And if you bring God into the picture like Paul did, you'll see things the way God wants you to see them. <clears throat> the third thing that Paul did was he wanted to help the, the Corinthians own their part of the conflict. So if we look in verse 8, he says, for even if I made you sorry with my letter, so again, we see a reference to some letter that That came before, and it was probably that harsh letter that he was talking about. Even though I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. Meaning, I regret the fact that I had to send this to you, that there were problems, but I don't regret confronting you about it. He goes on to say, For I perceive that the same epistle or letter made you sorry, though only for a while. So they receive this letter and and the reality of the sin starts to to hit them. And Paul says it only made them sorry for a while. Well, what does he mean? Did they blow it off or did they repent? Well, let's read verse 9. He says, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. It's like a 180 turning from what you were doing. And would they have repented if Paul hadn't confronted them? Maybe God might might have used someone else to get their attention, but Paul was a part of that process to help them own their part of whatever that conflict was. In verse 10, he says, for godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing that that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, What clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication in all things you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. All because he says, you know what, I need to talk to you about something. But before he said, I need to talk to you about something, he looked to say, God, where is my fault in this? God, what do you want to do? What glory can be? Revealed in this situation of conflict. And he lived in that moment. And he processed through it with the Lord. And the Lord took him to a place to say. To have a discernment to say. The conflict isn't resolved yet. Because the other person needs to see the part that they play. When we don't come to a place. To help other people understand the part that they play. We're really cheating them. Right? I mean. What if no one told you about your problem with the Lord that led to your repentance so you could have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Would you still not have a problem? Yeah, maybe you would. And maybe that person was too afraid to talk Jesus to you about it. Guys, don't be afraid if God's leading you to sit down with someone and have that conversation because if their heart is for the Lord, they will thank you for it at some point because they'll see God's hand in it. And the fourth step that we see taking place uh, in resolving conflict is that once we see that the person's responding and they're asking for forgiveness and you're, and you're giving that forgiveness to them, now we need to be fully restored as much as, as is possible. Okay, we don't say, hey, thanks for saying that, but you hurt me so much, I'm still going to keep you at arm's length. It's like, no, no, no. Now we need to have a fully restored relationship with them. We need to not let the hurt guide us so much as we need to let that remedy that God has put into our hearts. You know, a real strong motivation for for giving forgiveness to someone that you don't think deserves it is to reflect upon the forgiveness that you've received from Jesus Christ. Because, I mean, you guys are all beautiful people, but you don't deserve it either, and neither do I, right? So who are we to withhold forgiveness from someone but we expect God to forgive us. We'd almost be frustrated with God if he didn't forgive us because we, we would know that that would be out of his character. So should we have a forgiving character to other people? I think we should. So as we do those things, we embrace the relationship back. And so as we see this balance of is a, a church body, we walk in the spirit, we understand what our gifts are. I mean, things, things, things are going well. We're enjoying what we're doing as we're walking in those gifts. And then we also have a way to really be able to solve those problems that come up because of someone else's selfishness or our selfishness. Guys, this is a really powerful combination to be in a place to do what God wants us to do. Kind of to be ready, like we're looking at the coach on the sidelines and he calls you in. It's not like, oh shoot, I forgot my helmet. Oh, I didn't bring this. I, I guess I can't go in, Lord but it's like no no you're ready to go in you're ready to make whatever play it is that God wants to wants you to do and I, and I'm telling you as you as you walk in his ways and you participate with him you're going to see some glorious things happen uh, with the Lord you know one of the things that we love to do as a family is we like to go to the lake and we have a we have a jet ski that God's you know blessed us with and so when I used to look at the lake, it'd be like, you know, whatever. But now I look at the lake in terms of the power of the jet ski, right? You, you get what I'm saying. I mean, that, that's a pretty awesome thing. You know, I still remember there was a time last week we went camping, and I jumped, jumped out, and I'm looking at the lake, you know, because we're on the hill, and it's like, man, that is like glass right now. Like, I'm going to go get the jet ski out in the morning before anyone else, you know, really gets on the lake and just, like, enjoy that. That smoothness. Now, if you ask me to go across the lake in my own power, you know I'm like doing one of these. I might get—I don't, I don't even know how far I'd get. I'd be like, I'm done. I'm worn out. Like, I'm this. This lake is not pleasant for me. You know, some of you, you know, you look at serving the Lord, and maybe you've done it in your own power. It's like, man, that's exhausting. It's like not when you do it in the Lord's power. You might be tired, but you won't get burned out. You might be tired, but He will sustain you. You know, you might be tired, but there'll be a sense of excitement that carries you through it because the excitement pales in comparison to, to, you know, the tiredness that you might feel. Guys, some of you have been burned by people, even people in the church. And I don't excuse that. You know, if, if, if they've done that and they were wrong, I hope that whatever lesson God wants them to learn, that they'll learn that lesson. But some people may not even know it, because you might have been hurt and they didn't know that they hurt you because they were acting innocently. Other people were really doing things wrong and that's the one where it's like, well, I hope God shows you what that is. But wherever you're at, let's see how God can continue because you guys do a great job already. But let's see how we continue to go towards that prize that God has for us. So if you'll stand with me as we close in prayer. Father, it is such a blessing to be on this ride with you because we certainly don't deserve it. We certainly are not smart enough. We certainly don't have the ability within and of ourselves. But Lord, you give us everything that we need that pertains to a life of goodness and godliness. And God, your word says that every perfect gift comes from above. Man, what better deal? (laughs) What better deal could we have than to walk in your ways. You forgive us of our sin. You love us so much that you send your own son to spill his blood, to cover every sin that that we have. And then, Lord, not only does it stop there, but then you call us into a life of service and say, I'm going to empower you to do it. And while you're doing it, man, it's, it's going to be the best life that you ever have. And so, Lord, teach us to walk in your way. Heal those hearts and minds in here that may have been hurt. Lord, those of us that just fail at resolving conflict, God, show us how to do that in a way that brings blessing to us, blessing to to the opponent, blessing to the community. You're such a wonderful God. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.